Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced trainers, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And now, get busy listening and get busy winning. Here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. On the day the music stopped, as Stradivarius retired. Welcome to the Final Forum Podcast. It is great to have your company. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by an integral member of the team, the two-year-old handicapper for Time Form, Mr. Mark Milligan is back in the house. Hello, Mark. Good afternoon. Are we all well? Uh, aside from the fact that my boiler went kaput, and that's going to be... You better win the Ark, Luxembourg! <laughs> about three grand? Dang. There's an irony here in that you and I were talking about this only a few weeks ago with your boiler packing in. Mm. But you were able to fix it. Uh, me, I don't have that skill set. I can build a Lego boiler, but that's not going to heat the house. So, yeah, new one on the way. And <laughs> come on, Luxembourg! Come on, more! Um, we'll talk about the arc a little bit later on as well. Some of the big stories, including those shadowy figures. We can call them shadowy figures because they all declined to give their names. Deciding the fate of British racing, let's 
talk about that a little bit later on. We'll begin, though, with the Judmont Middle Park Stakes. They say self-praise is no praise, Mark. But those who say that didn't land a 50-to-1 forecast over the weekend. Kanye Gautenya! Oh, yes, you beauty! Normally, it's you landing the gravy, but I provided the goods this time. Uh, Blackbeard wins and beats the Antarctic. Uh, Hopefully, you followed us in. Um, And well done if you did. Another Group 1 two-year-old success for No Nay Never and Aidan O'Brien. His two-year-olds are absolutely flying. We'll talk a little bit about Charlie Appleby's because a lot of them like Aidan O'Brien's promise an awful lot, but unlike Aidan O'Brien, they're not delivering when it comes to the big stage. Um, But Blackbeard certainly is. He confirmed superiority over his stable companion, the Antarctic. Uh, He's been on the go a long time this season. This might very well be it now for him for the season. Or will it be? What did you make of the Judmont Middle Park Stakes and Blackbeard's two-length success? Hey, you've got to love Blackbeard. He's clearly quite quirky, isn't he? We saw his quirks in evidence again prior to the uh, Middle Park, but he does absolutely nothing wrong in the race. And I don't think even his his pre-race antics, they're they're not born of malice or anything. He just seems quite playful, doesn't he? Yeah. he's just a horse who clearly loves life and he's thriving on racing. And he took his form to another level in that middle park stakes. He'd gone into there on a time form rating of 110. He's come out of it as the third best juvenile um, in the time form rankings currently on 118. Um, Beat his stable companion, the Antarctic. The Antarctic's getting sick of seeing the the back of Blackbeard's backside. (laughs) But they landed a, a famous, famous straight forecast for your man, Emmett Kennedy, there. Let's go! Let's go! Oh! This was the uh, Kaluki offices when um, the Antarctic got up for a second. The traders lost! God damn it! Especially when, and look, we're good friends with the tote. Uh, shout out to Jamie and the crew. The Toad forecast paid 25 to 1. 24 to 1. Meet you in the middle, Toad. 24.50. The straight forecast, 50.33. Let's go. Let's go. Um, yeah, I was I was delighted with this. In terms of Blackbeard for next season, I know that Nick Luck was asking Aidan O'Brien the question afterwards on Racing TV, but it's, it is pretty obvious from how Aidan was answering it that it is sprinting for next season. Yeah, I think if you look at his pedigree, his pedigree is primarily one of a horse who will likely prove best over sprint trips. There is a there's a little bit of stamina in there. His dam did stay nine furlongs, but herself she was out of a six and seven furlong winner. No nay never is a good influence for speed and Blackbeard's just he's just all about speed, isn't he? And I think you look in Commonwealth Cup, that's his long term target isn't it as a three-year-old surely yeah it has to be um i know that it was being talked about afterwards that would they look at a, a guinea straw form personally i don't think they will um the the stark contrast and it's good to have your perspective on this as the two-year-old handicapper for time form because when you look at the anti-post market for the guineas with kaluki obviously little big bear is on top of that and I would certainly say rightly so. 
Um, in terms of how this is going to play out for next season, he's going to be the leading contender for, for Bally Doyle. Uh, he's done for the season. Now, we know that. They did want to bring him back for the Dewhurst, but that's not going to work out. Um, and that's just the way the cookie crumbles with him. But the difference between Little Big Bear and Blackbeard is there is stamina in Little Big Bear's pedigree. And Oshin Murphy was making the point of the show because I was I was suspect. And I've said it on this show before about how I've said it here and I've said it on TalkSport as well, that I think some of the reasons why I was so down on him being a Guineas winner next season initially was in the back of my mind, I was still slapping myself across the face with a wet fish over the fact that I'd been toying with backing him at 14s for the Guineas, didn't do it, knew he was going to win the Phoenix, and then had to see him cut to four to one. He's fives now. Um, 72 actually with Kaluki. Oh, what I say? Ask for fives. Now it's 72 with Kaluki. Little Big Bear, um, August Roden, who will be going down the Derby route. Doesn't mean he can't go there. Is a 10th shot. Um, Noble Style is done for the season as well. But the, the difference between Little Big Bear and Blackbeard is that Little Big Bear has the stamina in his pedigree. He's also got the physique to be able to strengthen up over the winter. And Aiden was actually saying it's a good thing that they're done for the year. He was talking about how busy he was. The difference um, with Blackbeard is that Aiden was saying we're not going to disagree with him and that he just seems to take his... He really thrives on racing. He's at eight starts now, five wins. He just... He's like that um, hobnob cookie that uh, Peter Kay joked about. Dunk me again! Dunk me again! Just keeps on coming back for more. He's tough and consistent, and I'm sure they'll look at the Breeders' Cup, but I would imagine that's it for him now for the season. Yeah, I would think so. He's, he's had plenty of racing, hasn't he? Was that about his... I'm just going back. Count eight about start eight the season. Stats? Yeah. yeah. Um, it could be that if they go over to the, the Breeders' Cup, they, it might just be a bridge too far for a, a horse who's been on the go since the, the beginning of April, basically. And he's done very, very little wrong in those eight starts, winning six of them. I think the sensible thing now is probably to put him away, isn't it, and get one eye on a, a sprinting campaign next season. Yeah, I, I suspect the Antarctic has obviously been kept very busy as well. He's had the exact same amount of starts, eight. Um, and Blackbeard has run in seven black-type races. So he went into listed company in his second start and has progressed through the ranks then all the way through. The Antarctic has run in six uh, black-type races, including going to Royal Ascot, where he was well-fancied and just... He was only beaten four and three-quarter links. It's not that bad, but he's steadily improving all the time. And Aidan O'Brien very early before Royal Ascot on the final furlong talked about how they were very much aware of the Batash angle with him and his mind and they've been trying to hone his mind. Him being beaten on debut might actually have helped because he won first time up. Mm. And Aiden has mentioned in the past how it's not a bad thing to be beaten on your debut because you then get the option to run in another maiden, learn more and, and go on. He's had to step up into good company at a pretty basically straight away they found a winnable race for him um at nace but he was still taking on good horses that day um but i i have liked the way he's been improving all the time i've liked the way he's coming along he's gone to, he stepped out of blackbeard's shadow to go to deauville where he's won a group three he's taken on uh his table companion again and um 
the first time was in France. He's finished second to him. He then finishes third to him. Now he's finished second to him again. I couldn't understand why he was such a big price. And I imagine that he will be one they'll look at for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. Yeah, and it stands to reason that he should get better as he gets older. When you look at his brother, Batash, he only really began to thrive as a three-year-old. Mm. So there's there's every reason to suspect the Antarctic will go on and get even better. And I think it's interesting. I just, my one concern with him is that if they were to go with the Breeders' Cup to the Breeders' Cup with him, he's just a few times now, and he showed it again on Saturday, he's just a little bit sluggish out of the stalls Very. from time to time. And that would be a concern for me with those American sprinters. They break like lightning over there. And and on a very sharp turning sprint track, if he gives away a length or two at the start, that would be curtains. Mm. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. Um, and it is going to be intriguing to see how that pans out. Now, you can already see him heading up to Dundalk and they're, them bringing the American gate system that they have at Ballydoyle and him doing some fast work up there and some stalls work there um, just to get him used to the bell. But even if he does get used to it, it's not the bell that's going to be the problem. It used to be, back in the day, for other Ballydoyle horses, horses who were breaking very well would go to America. The bell would go off and they'd freak out because it's a whole new thing for them. So they they got the American stall system, um, which just goes to show you that the amount of resources that they've got at Belly Doyle. Uh, they bought an American stall system with the bell. They bring it to Dundalk or to Southwell, but normally it's it's Dundalk now. That's that's replaced Southall as the uh, de facto place that they go to train these horses to prepare. And um, that's not going to be the issue. The issue is he just falls out of the stalls. He's very slowly away. And he can't do that in America. It's going to cost him. The thing is, he's good enough to place but he's, he's going to need to break fast in order to go and win one of those races. And you know that there's going to be something super fast from Wesley Ward. Didn't happen at Royal Ascot for him this year, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a slowly developing two-year-old who's going to just break gate speed. Um, is there any two-year-old from the US, given your American racing expertise, all things racing is an expertise for you, but anything that really excites you for the Breeders' Cup? Um, do you know, at the moment, for me, there isn't, an actual standout amongst the juveniles. And I, I confess, I'm not quite as close to it this year as I have been in previous years. So that's the, the disclaimer there. But often, by the time we're in sort of mid-September, you're starting to see the the better two-year-olds emerge. And there's usually one or two that, that stamp themselves as a class above. And at the moment, nothing for me has really has really come out and, and stamped their authority on that particular division. And certainly in terms of the, the turf sprint, we're thinking like if the Antarctic, for instance, he'll likely go to the Breeders' Cup juvenile turf sprint there. There wouldn't be anything outstanding in that division. There would probably be nothing over there that's run to the level that the Antarctic has already run to. The problem, as we've already mentioned, is the gate speed and whether he could get out. But yeah, I mean, in terms of, of an outstanding candidate in the, the American two-year-old division, I just don't think there is one currently. Yeah. 
the I happened to see Cave Rock win for Bob Baffett a couple of weeks back. I think it was the was it September eleventh? Um it might have been that. I'm trying to get the results up here. He was very, very good. Now, he was a long odds on favorite, but he's, and he's trained by <coughs> Mr. Bob Buffett. Um, he's an arrogant who costs something like half a million. Yeah, it was the 12th of September. So in, the, Was it the Delmar debutant that you won? Uh, the Futurity. The Futurity, sorry. The de- yeah, the debutants for the Phillies, isn't it? He blitzed them. He absolutely... And there was a lot of very expensive horses in that race. So, obviously... I was really intrigued in it. Um, now, he's not going to be going for the turf sprint, the juvenile turf sprint. That's not going to be his race. But the juvenile turf could be the, the Breeders' Cup juvenile. They might switch him to dirt, being an arrogant. Um, he's very interesting. He would be the two-year-old that stands out to me. But uh, that being said, I haven't exactly been glued to American racing. I was just, I happened to be aware that that race was on. I'd spoken to Naomi. I watched it live. Game of Thrones would have been on that night. Uh, House of the Dragon. So I was staying up for that. And um, such is the exciting life I lead. And I was very impressed. Very, very impressed with that. Uh, You could not be. So we'll see how that pans out. In terms of the guineas, no. He might rock up in a guineas trial. They tried it with previous winners of this race, 10 Sovereigns and US Navy Flag, who both competed in, in guineas. They tried them over a mile, but ultimately... It didn't pan out. This doesn't have a very good record of producing Guineas winners. And given the fact that they've got, I still keep the faith in Aesop's fables, I think he bounced the last day. You didn't get a chance to actually comment on that. Um, the winner of the National Stakes was impressive, but what did you make of Aesop's fables? Did, do you think that it was the ground, that he didn't, that he was bouncing after a, a big performance on the back of a long layout? Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's an element of that. I think there's also an element. He's still a bit raw as well, do you think? Yeah, that's a good thing. He still just doesn't look the finished article to me. He's quite big, he's quite gawky, isn't he? I think he'll really fill out over the winter, and he's certainly not one to be giving up on yet. Yeah, I, I would. I think it would be silly for us to give up on him. I think he's very interesting. He's fables. I, I was speaking to um, a listener the other day, who was, who was asking about him to back for the Dewhurst. I haven't spoken to Aidan O'Brien, but I would imagine they would roll the dice again with him this season. Whether it's the the weekend in the Prix-Jean-Luc Lagardère or they go for the Dewhurst, I would I would imagine that he will be out again this season, and I certainly wouldn't give up on him. Um, one bad performance doesn't mean that he's now a bad racehorse. Uh, but Blackbeard, they might try him in a Guineas trial, but they've got Aesop's Fables, and more importantly, they've got Little Big Bear. Um, they've got plenty. They've got a lot. They've got a lot of talent. And they're not going to be stuck for runners for the 2000 Guineas. And I suspect that Blackbeard will be heading down the sprinting division unless the Antarctic winters incredibly well, wins the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint, and they decide that he's the one for the Commonwealth Cup. Because being a classic winner is a big thing to Coolmore. So the, the commercial element of it will be there. Maybe they're going to give Blackbeard the opportunity to go for a mile. But the way... Nick Look phrased the question to Aidan O'Brien was very much, is the Guineas going to be on the agenda? He didn't quite say that, but he was rooting out the the way he hit the hit the line. Is he going to be going for a mile? And he did hit the line very strongly, but Aidan O'Brien emphasized just how much speed he has. So I think they've already made their mind up that it's sprinting for him and the Commonwealth Cup is a big prize these days. So go for it. They've won it in the past. I think they'll go for it again. Um, 
and they've got a very good backup in the Antarctic for him as well. So uh, let's touch on some of the horses in behind. Mischief Magic. So he'd landed a hat-trick for Charlie Appleby um, by taking a Group 3 at Kempton, and he was very well supported in the market before the race, but didn't have what it took, didn't have the minerals on. No, he was a, a little bit disappointing, wasn't he? Not the not the first Charlie Appleby um, juvenile to disappoint at the, mm-hmm. the new market meeting as well. Um, one or two of them didn't really perform to expectations, but may, I don't know, maybe that's just as good as he is. I, I didn't get the impression coming in to the middle part that he was sort of towards the top of the Charlie Appleby pecking order, and, and maybe that's just as good as he is. Yeah, that's a very fair shout. I think Naval Power is one they're very excited about still, and I would I would be very excited about him as well. Um, I've just checked out their Dewhurst entries. Now, obviously, Noble Power is out. Noble Power, what the hell am I talking about? Noble Style is out for the season, which mm. is a real shame because we like him a lot. But um, what was the name of the horse behind Chaldean the other day? Who got absolutely destroyed at Doncaster in the Champagne? Silver Knot. Yeah. Uh, that was a horse that. Oshin Murphy w- rides work on Chaldean quite a bit, and he's looking forward to riding him next season. We'll get to horsepower in a little bit, by the way, because there was technical technical difficulties with that. <laughs> um, so we'll come to that in a little bit. But he's a horse that I like an awful lot. He might be going to France for the Prix Luc Lagardère. Uh, Frankie Dettori had spoken to Oshin Murphy the day, the last day that Oshin was on the show. Thank you for making that show number three on Apple Podcasts. By the way, Woo-hoo-hoo! Apple Podcast Sport. But thank you very much. That means an awful lot, and we greatly appreciate it. Um, especially given there are... I got an email from Spotify saying there's five million podcasts. Five million. Also, we'd like to welcome our new sponsor, Disney+. Plus. Have you heard that recently? No. Daisy Edgar-Jones and Sebastian Stan star in the new drama, Fresh, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Now streaming on Disney+, Plus, the new Star Wars saga, Andor, which is boring, by the way. Um, it had a great start, but it's boring. I, I mean, it's great, because Disney+, Plus are now a sponsor of the show through Spotify. Thank you very much. Yeah, if you, No matter who you listen to us on, Disney+, Plus are now a sponsor of the show. Just give me the subscription for Disney+, Plus for the year. Pay that, and I'll be happy, quite frankly. I, I, was, about, I was about to say exactly the same. Cover thing. our subscription for Mark and myself. <laughs> We're both okay. <laughs> We're both all right. But yeah, no, you're you're welcome on board, Disney Plus. Uh, I for one would like to welcome our new overlords. Um, yeah, but silver. So he was raving about silver knot, uh, O'Shane Murphy. But at the same time, he was very impressed by Chaldean, uh, and this was this was prior to that race. And then afterwards, he was talking about how Frankie had spoken to him and said Dewhurst. I think Andrew seemed to be more inclined to go for the Virgin Futurity or the Prix Jean-Luc Lagardère. Um, let's see what they decide to do, if he's going to run on Sunday or not. But um, he's he's exciting, uh, so I'm not taking anything away from him. But Oshin was very keen on Silver Knot, and he thought Silver Knot had moved in front of Noble Style as the leading two-year-old. Now Charlie Appleby's only got three in the race. Mysterious Knight, Naval Power, Victory Dance. And Victory Dance was put in his place at Newmarket. So suddenly, all these 
Charlie Appleby two-year-olds have a big question mark over their heads now. And we're going to come to another one in a second. I think it's um, it's interesting that Mysterious Knight is one of those that's been left in there because he was very impressive in Canada, wasn't he, mm. last week? Albeit beating up essentially second-rate opposition. Those Canadian two-year-olds are not up to much, to be no. perfectly honest. And he, he won that exactly as he, he should have won it. And he's kind of got a little bit exposed against some of the, the better horses in this country, hasn't he? So whether, whether he'd be a Dewhurst winner in waiting, would, I'd, be, I'd be somewhat surprised. Aidan O'Brien has scaled down his team. How many horses do you think he has entered now? Charlie Appleby's got three. How many does Aidan have entered? Oh, four, five? Eleven. <laughs> oh, just, just the eleven. <laughs> um, let me list off who he's got entered now. Aesop's Fables, August Roden, Blackbeard, Boy Scout, Okay, uh, Cairo, I like him. Greenland, we're about to talk about him. Hans Anderson, Hiawatha, oh god, that went badly wrong. Proud and Regal's in there for Dunica, by the way. Sub Zero, who made a nice debut but was beaten at the Antarctic, who we just talked about. Victoria Road, who's tough as nails. Um, so that's the Aidan O'Brien team who are still interested in the Dewhurst. But yeah, uh, finally, a brief word on both Marshman and Persian Force. Yeah, Marshman, he didn't do an awful lot for that noble style form, did he? But I think I think it might be wise maybe not to judge him too harshly on this particular run because I, I, I think he was clearly below the levels that he'd set. And he, he didn't settle, did he? He pulled like stink. Um, and that... That won't have done his, his chances any good at all. But at the same time, if he's going to go on as a three-year-old, he's going to have to learn to drop his head. You can't pull like that and expect to be competitive in Group 1 company. And Persian Force, he kind of sets the levels, doesn't he? We know pretty much everything I think there is to know about Persian Force at this stage. He's kind of in the Blackbeard mould, isn't he? Turns up. He runs his race more often than not, and, and he's a, a decent marker for the form, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he gives it a solid look to it, I think. I was a little bit surprised that he was the price he was, too. Um, he's now finished second behind Little Big Bear, beaten seven lengths in the in the Hines, as uh, Aidan O'Brien calls it, that was his old name, the Phoenix. Um, he then got within half a length of Blackbeard at Deauville and has been beaten three and a quarter lengths by him at the weekend. So, look, Aidan O'Brien's got a really strong team for next year. He needs that because, let's be honest about it, Luxembourg and Tuesday aside, and possibly changing of the guard, uh, who has been put away for next year, it's been a pretty bang average season for the three-year-olds and the older horses... Brooms, Royal Ascot success, and the obvious exception of Kiprios aside, haven't been up to much either. But the two-year-olds have led the way. So there's a lot of very exciting talent there for next season. And that's the big difference between him and Charlie Appleby in the two-year-old ranks. You know, Charlie's had a fantastic season. He's not going to be champion trainer. And they're probably still a bit mystified that they didn't win the St. Ledger. So these two-year-olds to not turn up to the national stakes, and I interviewed Charlie Fellows 
uh, that weekend. He was sending over his horse, who I quite liked and and still do. I wouldn't knock him out because of one bad run. Um, but he was really taken aback by the fact that Charlie Appleby didn't declare anything for the national stakes, and that was a red flag in my mm. mind. I was like, "That's a race that it, that Charlie Appleby has done incredibly well in." I mean, I was there. It was the Pat Smullen Charity Race, and I've never experienced an atmosphere at the car like it. It was electric, and everybody was there, really, just to see Pat Smullen. It was an, an emotionally charged day, but that was also the day that Pinatubu made your jaw drop. That was one of the most breathtaking displays I've ever seen live in person on racecourse. He didn't do it as a three-year-old, but he didn't have to. He was a brilliant two-year-old, and that's his place at Stud Secure. He's one of the horses who has dominated that race for Charlie Appleby. For him to have all of this talent and to not run anything in the national stakes was an alarm bell. Um, mm. For all that noble style got injured. There were plenty of horses who could have taken up the engagement, and they didn't. And that's a worry. That's a slight worry. Uh, we'll move away from the Colts, and we'll switch to the Phillies as Lazoo. Oh, we would have had another reverse forecast if it wasn't for that pesky Lazoo. In fact, it would have been a straight forecast. Meditate to beat Maj, but along comes William Buick uh, for Rafe Beckett. And um, this was a really likable performance. We've talked a good bit about Lazoo on the show. Uh, she's featured in a lot of the races that we've covered. She's been a real star for Rafe Beckett, who's had a tremendous season himself this season. And I thought this was a power-packed ride from Buick, but also a, a wonderful performance. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think it was. And when you look at the one, two, three, Lazoo, Meditate, Morge, they're three fillies that we've talked about plenty, haven't we, mm. through the summer? Um, and and three fillies who we, we've held in very high regard all the way through the summer. And on the day, Lazoo was the best of the three. Now, I think the six furlongs at Newmarket plays very much to her strengths and probably plays more to her strengths than it did to meditate. Because going forward, I think you're going to see meditate over a mile next season. Lazoo, she looks she looks a sprinter to me. She's compact. She's not particularly scopy. I, I, they may want to take in a trial early next season and, and dip their waters in the toes of, of or dip their toes in the waters of seven furlongs to see whether they think they've got a Guinness filly. But for me, I'm not sure what you think about this, but for me, she's a sprinter. And I think she should be trained as such as a three-year-old. Though when you've got a filly like this, the, the temptation's always, I think, early in the three-year-old career to, to kind of just test the waters over seven to see if you've got a Guinness filly, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And last year's winner was treated that way by Edna Bryan. Even her last start was in the matron stakes. They decided to go for a mile with her. I think she's clearly a very fast filly, tenebrism, and uh, sprinting would be more her bag. Um, 
She won over six and a half furlongs in France earlier this year. I think that this is a sprinter. I think she's an out-and-out sprinter. She, To me, she beat Meditate purely because of speed. I think she was just too fast for her. Uh, and maybe it was asking a bit much of Meditate without taking anything away from Lazoo because I think she's a, a wonderful filly. Maybe it was asking a bit much of Meditate to come back out. And I think Aidan O'Brien said this, actually, in his interview with Nick Luck on Racing TV, that they might have been asking a bit much of her to come back after the uh, the the start, the last day, where she went up to seven furlongs um, at the Curra in the Moyglare stud stakes. And that was pretty horrible ground that day. But even Aidan O'Brien was, was very careful to word that and could not praise the winner enough, and neither could I. But in terms of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint, just for next start, I think they should look at that. I think they are going to look at it. Um, I believe that Richard Hannon wants to send Persian Force there. I would be stunned if Aidan O'Brien doesn't take the Antarctic there. Um, so we've got three horses who are almost certainly going to be headed there. And um, when you go back earlier in the season, maybe she should have beaten Maj. Maybe if, if Maj hadn't carried her left, she would have won the, the Duchess of Cambridge. I, I didn't think Maude should have had that race taken off her that, that day. But maybe she should have. Um, and uh, she's confirmed superiority over over her there. And again, like these are horses who have been on the go quite a bit this season. You know, Meditate was out very early in the campaign. Both Meditate and Maude were involved in, in an epic finish at Royal Ascot. That, that was Lezu's fifth start of the season. There's nothing about how Lezu travels in her races that makes me think she's a Guineas filly. I haven't got that impression from Rafe Beckett either. Uh, all of her starts are over five and six furlongs. She's out and out speed, and I would imagine she's another one for the Commonwealth Cup next year. But in the near future, I suspect that she'll be headed to America along with Persian Force and more than likely the Antarctic. They've got nothing to lose by heading to America, haven't they? And the way she travels in her races, that will stand her in good stead over there. Now, she's... She's a filly who does tend to get away on terms. She's certainly not sluggish out in the stalls. They've ridden her with more patience on her last couple of starts, which has suited her over six furlongs. But in that Duchess of Cambridge at Newmarket, she was more up with the pace there. So she's quite she's quite tractable when it comes to uh, to tactics. And uh, I'm with you. I think everything about her suggests she's a sprinter. I don't think she's got many pretensions to say much beyond six furlongs. And why not? roll the dice and, and head over to Keeneland. I imagine Meditate's going to come back for the Phillies Mile. That would be a better option for her. I don't, I don't think she was suited by dropping back to six from seven. Uh, she'd been put in a place by Tahira Oof, in the Moy Glare. But breathtaking. That, which, yeah, I mean, that wasn't... You couldn't take anything away from Meditate there because she was just put in a place by a really, really good filly. And when we look at Meditate's pedigree, she's a half-sister to a mile-and-a-half winner. So even though she's by no name ever, you'd think she'll stay a mile standing on her head. So, you know, I, I'm not... She was trying to cope with a filly who's going to be an out-and-out -out sprinter on Saturday, wasn't she? She just didn't have the speed to do it. She's only beaten three parts of a length, but I think stepping back up in trip, you'll see her in a much better light. Yeah. Um, statuette has been put away for the season. They want to bring her back next year. I mean, she's built like a chaser. She's a monster of a filly. Um, 
Meditate is still in this race in the Phillies mile. And looking at the entries, I suspect that she will be the horse that goes for it. I suspect that, you know, Aiden O'Brien's got a good record in that race. They like to have a runner in it. They like to support it. I can't really see anything else. There's a couple of unraced horses in there that have got very nice pedigrees that are very intriguing, but I don't really see anything else that would stand out from a Coolmore point of view to run in it. So I imagine that they will go for that race with her. Um, and uh, and Lazoo will head to the Breeders' Cup. You've got in my head, because as this race was being run, as they were coming down towards the finish, I wasn't saying to myself, ah, oh, balls. I was going, Marge is going to win the UAE 1000 guineas, and that's all on you, son. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a shame we can't get a price at the moment. <laughs> Kaluki, what price can we get on Marge to win the UAE 1000 guineas? Thanks very much. Uh, Trillium was, for your close personal friend Richard Hannon, was, was an absolute disaster here. <laughs> careful, careful. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be very careful here, but my son, who I, we both know is very big into his racing as well, Yeah. Um, he told me Friday. He said, "Dad, so I think Trillium's a good thing. I can't, I can't understand you going against Trillium. It's just a good thing for me." And I just said one word to him, and I just said, "Hannon." <laughs> <laughs> what did I say? I said, "Careful, that's your response." One word. Careful, <laughs> Alan. No, I'm, I'm not laying the blame for this. She just, but she wasn't. She just wasn't herself. Was it? I think the, the race has just come too soon, hasn't it? I think she had a ding dong battle with the Platinum Queen at Doncaster just 13 days before. I think that's left a mark, and she yeah. just she pulled a little bit too hard, and she just. It, she just looked like a filly to me who was just, she just found the race coming too soon. I think it's as simple as that, Trillium. I think you can just write, you can write it off. I think she'll be, uh, she'll put that behind the next season. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I have a quote from Said Bin Saror, by the way. Ooh. He was asked about taking up the engagement for the Phillies Mile on the 7th of October, which she said, I don't think she'll stay, but she really tries and I'm delighted with that. She's a six or seven furlong horse for next year. We'll take her to Dubai for the winter where she'll run at the carnival. She'll be tried over a mile. She'll be going for the UAE 1000 guineas. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, she's, I, I don't see anything in her pedigree that suggests to me she won't stay a mile. Yeah, I agree with that. She's, she's a half-sister to modern news and modern games who are both star milers, aren't they? Yeah. And... She's by Exceeder XL. I mentioned last week that Exceeder XLs have a good record on the dirt at Maidan. Yeah, Shield. Shield. Yeah, Side's putting us away there, isn't he? He's wanting to get the prices for himself, I think. He wants Kaluki to be lured into a false <laughs> sense of security and go 10 to 1, and then we all pile in. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's right because she's got no chance to stay in the wild. <coughs> oh, we're too honest on this show. That's the problem. Right, the Alan Smurfett Memorial Beresford Stakes sees a winning run come to an end for Aidan O'Brien. 11 successive wins in the race, but the horse who would have won it came out. Continuous would have won this race. He comes out. Adelaide River, who basically is a grinder, 
That's what he did in France last time out. He didn't show any turn of foot at all. He just kind of gallops on at the one pace. That's what he did today as well. Um, I say today in this race, I think. But it wouldn't have mattered uh, even if he did have a change of gear because Crypto Force was absolutely deadly. Um, Off since Royal Ascot when disappointing after being bought for 900,000 of the Queen's finest sovereigns. It was the Queen's at the time now, of course, the King's. Um, for Akio Shabrakin, which was just fantastic stuff from Michael O'Callaghan because he pays 160 grand for the horse in April, wins a race and flips him for 900 grand and gets to keep training him and now wins a very prestigious Group 2. I love this performance. Yeah, that, we were... We were both keen on continuous, weren't we? It's such a shame that he ended up being an on-runner. But let's take nothing away from Crypto Force, who was, he, he won convincingly, didn't he? Took his form up to a, a new level there. Bang on the, the, the standard for the for the actual race. It was a, a performance that will stand up to scrutiny when we look at sort of the last five or six winners. In fact, we can have a look. He got a time form rating of 109 um, in winning this. Japan only ran two pounds better. 111 inish free was 109 a couple of years ago. High definition. Uh, uh, say that name again. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. High definition. No, no, no. <laughs> he who shall not be named. He, he who shall not be named ran to a time form rating of 110 in this a couple of years ago. So it's a bang-up performance from Crypto Force. It's 109 right where it should be for this sort of race. I'm, I'm entirely on board with you on Adelaide River. He's a middle-distance horse for next season, isn't he? He's yeah. already He's already finding a mile too short he's uh he's gonna be a, a proper middle distance performer next season uh, he's by australia he's interestingly he's dam the dam side of his pedigree is a little bit more speedy um his dam was a, a seven furlong winner um and she's a half sister to uncle mo what a good uh mm. horse uncle mo was super sire as well in america so yeah, so there's there's speed on the dam side, but he seems to be taking after his sire. Australia is a strong influence for for stamina, and I think he'll. We won't see the best of him till he's over a mile and a quarter, a mile and a half, I think. But um, outside of those two, I don't think there was massive amounts of of depth behind in this five runner race. But Crypto Force, I was quite impressed by him. He did it convincingly. I would have loved to have seen continuous in this race, and it's a shame that he didn't line up. Um, we'll have to wait and see how he gets on. I know Wayne Lorden was saying that the ground was responsible for Adelaide River not quite getting home. I don't think he's that good, quite frankly. I think he's he's a decent marker and he'll definitely be lining up in a derby trial next season, but 
I wouldn't be surprised if he's lining up in a derby trial with something else, such as the strength and depth they have. I don't necessarily think that he's going to be the one and only. Um, he might line up in the Virtum Futurity. He might. I don't see him winning it. Um, I don't see him doing a whole lot in Group 1 company, quite frankly. I'm happy to be wrong about that. I think Crypto Force has a very exciting future ahead of him. Very exciting. He's going to have no issue with middle distances. That's just his third start. And he'd been off the course since Royal Ascot. So he's been off the track for over three months. And he's come out with a monstrosity of performance like that. And the way he was ridden by Colin Keane with just supreme confidence to be out the back, stoned last, and to quicken up in the manner that he did, that was a really likable performance from him. Um, big things ahead for Crypto Force. And well done to Michael O'Callaghan as well, particularly having to be patient with him. And um, that Aidan O'Brien's won that race 21 times. He was going for his 12th in a row, and along comes O'Callaghan and says, I don't think so, son. Um, yeah, I like him an awful lot. Uh, commissioning in the Dubai Rockville Stakes, so staying with the two-year-olds. The Jumps fans, who are loyally sticking with us and tuned in, for Paul Ferguson's return to the show last week. Paul is back this week as well, where we'll be taking aim at the hurdlers, specifically the champion hurdle and stairs hurdle divisions. We'll talk a little bit about the mayor's hurdle as well, Nikki's revelation. Um, so we'll be, we'll be talking about that. Along come you and I, talking about two-year-olds, the UAE 1000 guineas, the Breeders' Cup, dirt pedigrees, and we're not done. <laughs> Commissioning uh, wins by two and three quarter lengths. There's a bit of a debate going on on social media right now as to which was the better two-year-old performance of the weekend. Was it this? Was it Blackbeard? I thought it was Blackbeard, quite frankly. But Commissioning is now the favorite for the 1,000 guineas. Uh, I've had an aneurysm. Taria is the three-to-one market leader with Kaluki Sportsbook for the 1,000 guineas. Commission Lezu, by the way, if you want to go and throw some money on Lezu to win the 1,000 guineas, I mean, good luck to you. 12 to 1. Same price as Meditate. I'd rather take the 12s of Meditate. Uh, but commissioning 8 to 1. What did you think of commissioning's latest success at Newmarket? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I thought she was still green, but the way she cleared away in that final furlong was most taken. The time figure backs up the performance. The performance was really, really strong on the clock. For a filly who was having just her second start, I thought it was very, very impressive. In terms of ratings, I would put her just only behind Tahira in terms of two-year-old fillies that we've seen so far this season. I was just, I, I don't have enough superlatives for her. I thought she was very, very good. And in a race, the rock fell that isn't, it, it can often be a bit of a damp squib and doesn't that often throw up a really good one, even though Hello You won it last season. We've seen just wonderful win it as well. But commissioning's performance was right up there with anything we've seen in this race, certainly in the last five or six years. Yeah, I, I'm waxing lyrical. I, I really like it. I thought it was most impressive. I thought it was a stunning performance. Um, and it's no surprise to see that Kaluki had to go 
10 to 1 on the day and now have had to cut her to 8s. I'm sure there's been a lot of people who, who want to have a, a bet on her. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that she's not favourite, but that just goes to show how impressive Dermot Wells Philly was in the Moigler. I mean, that was a stunning performance on Irish Champions Weekend. Um, and, and it says an awful lot about her. But commissioning is now two from two in her career. Both of those starts at Newmarket, one on the July course, this one here. And there's an awful lot to like about everything she does. John Galston was saying that the Phillies' mile is probably going to come a little bit too fast. But intriguingly enough, the Breeders' Cup is an option and one that they will very much consider. Yeah, that would be a, an interesting move, wouldn't it? Heading over to the uh, the Breeders' Cup there. Uh, uh, she's by Kingman. She's out of a Galileo mare. She's a, am I right? She a full sister to Capri? Irish Derby winner and St. Ledger winner? She'd be a half-sister. Yeah, you're right. No, she is. She's a full sister to Capri. That's right. Um, so yeah, I'm just checking that myself actually to make sure I've got that. Yeah, no, you're, right, you're, you're spot on. Um, and so she's and Brazil to bring in the Cheltenham angle. A full, a full. The dam is a full sister to the Fred Winter winner, Brazil. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I was getting my, myself mixed up here. The dam is the sister to Saint Ledger and Dar- Irish Derby winner Capri, isn't? Oh, she? I thought but you'd said the dam. Actually. I, <laughs> so yeah, no, sorry, no, just just um, getting all my mouth words all wrong. <laughs> Don't you steal my lines? <laughs> <laughs> it's infectious. But she's whichever way you shake it down, she's got a beautiful pedigree, hasn't she? On that damn side, and she's by Kingman, who is a fantastic sire. And I just thought there was tons to like about this. And you know, if we get to see her lining up at some point taking on Tahira, that would be a clash worth going a long way to see. Ooh, big time. Yeah, hopefully that's how this pans out. Hopefully this isn't the case that John Well just trains Tahira for the Irish 1000 guineas. Hopefully she will be coming over to Newmarket. Um, and listen, if we're getting Tahira, meditate after a winter, uh, and commissioning, all taking each other on in the 1000 guineas, ooh, that's something to savour. That's something to savour. Um, and if you've got the prizes, in terms of, of next season, being a Kingman, what's her prospects of staying the Oaks uh, trip? And is she a mile or a 10 furlong horse in the making, or is she possibly a horse who could be headed to Epsom? Well, I think that pedigree that we've already spoken about on the dam side would give you hope that there would be a chance of her staying a mile and a half. But... Uh, the fact that she's by Kingman, Kingman himself we know is a, a brilliant miler, imparts plenty of speed into his progeny. I, I think it would be a case of just waiting and seeing. For, for me, for now, I'd say she'd probably be at her best up to 10 furlongs. But who knows if she comes out and wins the Guineas and wins it impressively, you you'd probably want to roll the dice, wouldn't you, to see if she could stay a mile and a half in the Oaks, particularly with that stamina that she's got on the damn side of the pedigree. Yeah, I don't see why you wouldn't. Uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf is on the agenda for John Gosden knows the family well, trained Kingman, trained the dam, the full sister to Capri as well. So he knows this family inside out, and um, she's very, very exciting. So the Breeders' Cup is on the agenda for her, and um, 
there was yeah there's an awful lot to like about about her going forward um what did you make of electric eyes in second i thought she ran really well it was a a much improved performance wasn't it she won a small race at first on debut she'd only run to a time form rating of sort of mid 70s there so that was a, a much much improved performance by her now i think she is a filly who will get better over further when you look at her pedigree i think she'll stay a mile standing on her head mile and a quarter i, I think there's probably enough in there to say she'll stay a mile and a half as well but look she was put well and truly in her place wasn't she by commissioning but there's no disgrace in that because she pulled a length and a quarter clear of the third i thought that was a really good performance at the side there are gonna be we had a 14 runner field here there are going to be winners coming out of this race all over the place because i think this is really strong form and i think the time figure backs that up yeah um commissioning and the runner-up are two horses to keep very much inside electric eyes I know Carl Brock was making a comparison with Lawrence with Electric Eyes, so that's why I wanted to, to mention her very quickly. Um, I believe the last two-year-old race that we're going to talk about is the most valuable from the weekend. That's the Goffs Million. There is something of a terrific story here in that Gary Robinson, who owns the winner, Galleron, is a plumber by trade, according to the Racing Post, only became a racehorse owner 18 months ago. He's mostly a jumps racing fan, but he was having a pint at Newbury with Charlie Hills, was talking about racing, and Charlie said, I've got a horse who's qualified for the Goffs Million next year. So, do you want to buy him? He didn't understand what the Goffs Million was. They got involved, he buys the horse, and as he was coming over that morning, he said, anything better than ninth will cover the cost of him coming over. Now he's off to Las Vegas. The horse only cost 45 grand. And he's won him six hundred and eleven thousand euro, or five hundred and forty-five thousand of the king's finest sovereigns. A fantastic story, and a terrific performance as well. You were a little bit unlucky here not to to get the win with Helsing. He's run a a monster race, but um, he's uh, he's gone up against Noble Style this season. He had beaten Trillium earlier in the campaign as well, uh, and now he's gone to the Curra and <laughs> absolutely scooped the loot. 600,000 euros, 590 odd thousand pounds. If we're talking dollars, it's about $35. That is. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. I've got to put it all on black. That's uh, $39, please. I'm not going to get all bitter about the exchange rate as my American vacation homes into me just be glad that you've already paid or you've already got your dollars just be very glad you've done that already yes (laughs) but um we mentioned didn't we um beforehand that plenty of the the british trainers had, had rolled the dice here and gone over for the big money and charlie hills has been rewarded with galleron i thought helsing was a touch unlucky the 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 leaders went a really strong pace here and kind of set it up for those ridden with a bit more patience. But Helsing, he'd been up there throughout, so to be only beaten half a length into second, I think that was a really, really good performance from him. I think he'll prove the best of these going forward. But let's take nothing away from Galleron. The story you just told there, 
tells me that Charlie Hills had clearly had this race in mind for quite some time for Galeron. And as, uh, who was it who used to, was it, uh, who was the leader of the A-team who used to say, I love it when a plan comes Hannibal. together. Wasn't it, wasn't it Hannibal? Hannibal, yeah. Or was Hannibal, yeah, it was yeah, Hannibal because Face was the, was the, the handsome guy. Um, was, 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 was Face, Hannibal, Mr. T. Yeah. He used to have the big cigar. I love it when a plan comes together. And uh, I bet Charlie Hills is loving it that this plan has come together. And interestingly, those British trainers that we mentioned, um, they filled four of the first five places, didn't they? Mm. Richard Fahey was uh, third, Richard Hannon fourth, and Roger Varian was fifth. Um, Joe Lyons and Helsing, the only one of the home team to come in the first five, but... As I say, I think Helsing will prove the best of these going forward. I think he just paid the price for being up with that strong pace. Yeah, a lot of British trainers have been saying, I ain't getting on no plane, fool! <laughs> but uh, that that has changed as um, as the prize money in Britain has been brutal over the years, and so more of them are coming over to Ireland. And look, the fact is that if a horse is qualified for this, the, the only issue that I would have with it, and I'm not taking anything away from this because I, I think it's a terrific initiative, if I buy a horse at uh, the golf sales and my horse is then eligible to run in Europe's richest juvenile race, you better believe I want that horse to rock up. And that may very well have been the case. Maybe Charlie Hills was just like, well, he's qualified, we'll run him. Um maybe it was always training him to peak on this day and he's pulled off a right touch or it was just a case of he'd qualified for it, so run. But the fact is that it's an exclusive bunch of horses who can run in this race. Um, it is a great initiative and it's up to the rest to see if they then want to be able to go and do something similar. And good luck to you if you want to do that. But I'm not going to complain about this. Uh, prize money is a major issue and I'm delighted that it's... Uh, a gentleman such as this. I mean, for my bank balance, it would have been great if Hiawatha had won. But it's just billionaires getting that prize money then. You know, it's not like Coolmore are stuck for a few quid. Uh, as it is, we um, we end up in a situation where the race goes to, uh, I'm surely, a man who is doing quite well for himself as a plumber, and um, he manages to, to scoop the loot. So, well done to him. And um, well done to Charlie Hills for managing to orchestrate this plan and getting it to come off to absolute perfection. But the celebrations, I believe, will carry on in Las Vegas, and let's see how that all pans out. But yeah, well done to, to Connections. Um, I can tell you the full team, by the way, for the A-team. It was John Hannibal Smith, B.A. Barakas, Howlin' Mad Murdoch, and Templeton <laughs> Faceman Peck. Thank you, IMDB Pro. Um, I lied. I would like to apologize to our listeners for me misleading you. It was not my intention, yada, yada, yada. One more two-year-old race. The Judmont Royal Lodge Group 2 as the Foxes, who we talked about, oh, God, uh, him beating classic hurt both, both of us that day. But another horse who emerges from, remember how people were lining up to say the Chesham was rubbish? The Chesham was rubbish. It was useless. All those horses are muck. Well, they probably aren't, actually. You know, it's very early to be just rubbishing horses. Lakota Sue's come out and won a nice prize. Um, Alfred Munnings hasn't run since. We shall see. Crypto Force goes and wins the Beresford. And the Foxes comes out 
and absolutely buries Charlie Appleby's horse. Um, this was this was in, an impressive performance in what was, it, it, for all the, the Judmont Royal Lodge stakes, oh, my mouth words are going now, the Judmont Royal Lodge was very much a tactical race, but it was a very pleasing performance from the Foxes. Yeah, the, the race itself, though, it was run a dawdle, wasn't it? It was a bit of a farce, really. The We, at time form, we clocked the last three furlongs in 33.65 seconds, and the Foxes himself in 33.35. So these two-year-olds are running a mile, and yet they're clocking 11 seconds per furlong for the last three furlongs. Which is ridiculous. Most sprinters don't even do that. And That's like a French race. Yeah, the foxes, he was just in front when the music stopped, wasn't he? Do you want to, I don't know if you've had a look at this on time, do you want to hazard a guess at the time figure, the winning time figure for this race on time for? Ooh. I'll give you the, the performance figure. The, the foxes got 106p for winning. The way you're so, talking, I'm going to say it's in the 90s. Do you remember uh, Play Cards Right with Bruce Forsyth? Higher or lower? Or higher or lower. The crowd will all be shouting, lower! Really? <laughs> really, yes. What was it? 32. Jesus! 32 time figure in a Group 2 race, which tells you everything you need to know about how this race was run. And I reckon you could run this race again and you probably get a completely different finishing order it's just form that you've got to take with a massive pinch of salt the fox is he this was just a three furlong sprint and he was the horse who could sprint fastest I'm certainly not ruling out flying honours Charlie Appleby's horse who was sent off two to seven this just would have been no good to him at all he's not built for a three furlong sprint and I firmly suspect he'll still be the best of these going forward. But the race itself was just a, a bit of a farce, really. Yeah, all of these Charlie Appleby horses who have disappointed um, these supposedly top-class juveniles, they're still top-class prospects. Just because they've had a bad day out doesn't suddenly mean that they're all for the scrap heap now. They're all going to be gelded and become Godolphin cast-offs that um, then go on to great success for other trainers. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there's very fine margins in in two-year-old talent. And only a couple of weeks ago, Aidan O'Brien and Charlie Appleby had the top 10 in the betting for the 2000 Guineas. Six of those trained by Aidan, four of them trained by Charlie. That's changed an awful lot now. That's mm. a very different looking outlook. And you're also looking at what are these trainers going to have for next season and Aidan O'Brien is rubbing his hands with glee, and right now Charlie Appleby's scratching his head a little bit. Um, yeah, it, that that speed figure does put things in perspective. I like the performance from the Foxes. I thought it was uh, taking. We did put out the warning on Thursday. Um, I think I said I wouldn't put anybody off back in the Foxes. I wouldn't put anybody off back in Greenland. I didn't back the Foxes, uh, and that I had no interest in backing Flying Honours at two to five, he's gone off seven to two on, but um, we were both expecting Flying Honours to go and win, and he hasn't. Um, 
And sometimes these horses are able to overcome races that aren't run to suit, and he wasn't able to do that. So I wouldn't dismiss him entirely. I wouldn't dismiss any of these Charlie Appleby horses. But it is worth mentioning that things have changed drastically in a pretty short space of time. Okay, uh, the Cambridgeshire goes to Majestic for Mick Shannon, Aidan Keeley, a terrific performance for him, a five-pound claimer. Bell Rock is just solid as a rock and uh, continues to run terrifically well for Callum Hutchinson and uh, particularly Andrew Balding. Dual identity, also I was quite keen on. He's run a massive race to be beaten, only a length and a quarter uh, for William Knight and Andrea Zini. Uh, I thought Savvy Victory ran a big race as well. What was your overall take on the Cambridgeshire? Yeah, it was... I'm, I'm with you in terms of dual identity. Didn't he run a fantastic race? If we look at the first six home and the draws that those first six home occupied, Majestic in second, 26. Majestic in first, sorry, 26. Bell Rock in second, 19. Caradoc in fourth, 17. Savvy Victory in fifth, 13. Uzo in sixth, 25. And there he is. From stall six in third, one of just a handful that stayed far side, dual identity. I think he's run a massive race. But this was a, a really big day for, for young Aidan Keeley as well, wasn't it? Five pound claimer getting the ride in, in a race like this. He'll be on cloud nine, won't he? He probably still hasn't come down from cloud nine yet, winning a race of this nature. And didn't he give Majestic a, a really good ride as well? A really cool ride. It helped that he had a horse underneath him who travelled really well, and Majestic has been a horse whose profile has been one of, of gradual progression. Um, I think that was only his fourth start in a handicap, Majestic. So he's clearly got plenty more to offer. But for me, dual identity in third is the one to take out of this race. I thought he ran an absolute stormer. The life of a jockey is a rather frustrating one. Um, example being... His two previous rides in the lead-up to the race was last at Linkfield, last at Goodwood. He's then off for a couple of days, has one ride at Newmarket, wins one of the biggest handicaps of the year, then heads to Foss last. Unseats rider, last, last, uh, and a couple of middling results as well. It's terrific for him. He's a very talented jockey. He's stealing that five-pound claim. Um and hopefully he's going to go far. But it just goes good to show you the swings and roundabouts of being a jockey. It's not exactly uh, the easiest life. Waterville. Hey, Siri. What was the most impressive jockey-winning performance of the weekend? That would be the Irish Cesaro with Gemma. Aiden Wayne Lorden for Aiden O'Brien on Waterville. That man pisses ice cubes. He's so cool. This was brilliant. Um... This horse has had a bit of a reputation. There's been a bit of talk about this fellow for quite some time. He was touted as a Derby prospect. They ran him um, in a race that Aidan O'Brien does very well in, the Captain Dara Fitzpatrick Memorial Maiden uh, at Leopardstown. If you go through the history of that race, you'll see a lot of ones beside Aidan O'Brien's name. He was beaten there. He then went to the Curra on Irish Guineas weekend. Um, they ran him in a maiden. He was beaten again. They upped him 
drastically in trip from 10 furlongs uh, to two mile one, where he's come out and won at Limerick. He was then a little bit unlucky at Leopardstown behind Point King, and he lacks experience. He was going into this on only his sixth run. He's taking on battle-hardened handicappers, and he blows the start, and yet Wayne Lorden was just cool as ice on him and said afterwards that Aiden had given him a lot of confidence and just basically said, take your time. <laughs> I think he might have just said to him, take your time, son. This fella's a good thing. Um, because he's ridden them like that, and he somehow managed to get him up to win, uh, beating a very high-class hurdler in the prospect, in the prospect who, in the process, even teary me, what's happened to my mouth words, man? Uh, in the process, who was a winner of the, the good apprentice, uh, the amateur rider handicap at the Galway Festival? Um, I, I really was taken by this performance. What did you make of Waterville winning the Curra Irish Cesarowicz? All right, first of all, I want to get my personal pain out of the way. Uh-oh. <laughs> because, uh, as you know, I write a, a weekend column for Betfair previewing Irish racing. Excuse me, excuse me, um, excuse me, excuse me. Correction. <laughs> a must-read and excellent column for Betfair regarding Irish racing. Proceed. And um, I put up in that column um, two at double-figure prices in this race, Echoes in Rain and Lots of Joy. <laughs> so you, can Im- you can imagine how I was feeling two furlongs out. You're counting your money, son. You've got the reverse forecast. Yeah. You got the win. And and then Wayne Lorden, just how did he conjure up that run from Waterville? In fact, I was watching the race. I'll mention my son again because we were watching the race together actually on Sunday afternoon. And at the halfway stage, because he backed, showing his old dad up here, he, he backed Waterville. <laughs> and I said to him, Waterville is going to have to be virtually a group one horse to win from there. And wow, did he put up some performance. Because not only did he come from stone last in a field that was, what would you say, was there was 20 lengths first to last about halfway? Something oh, yeah. like that? Easily they were so. strung out, weren't they? Um, and he ran up a couple of blind alleys as well, didn't he? A straight. He had to extricate Waterville. He hit trouble more than once, and he came with a power-packed finish down the outside. I was composing my victory tweet. <laughs> <laughs> approaching the final film <laughs> in my head. <laughs> then Waterville was just galvanised. It was just like he joined in at the half furlong pull. This is our, look, I don't think it's stretching it to say he could be a cup horse next year, couldn't he? Waterville. Well, Presumably they'll keep him on the go. Yeah, he is staying in training, and that's kind of what Edna Bryan alluded Well, it's not what he alluded to afterwards. It's basically what he said. I'm watching the replay here, and I'm still thinking he's going to get held. because it's just the way he finishes is just extraordinary Um, just imagine my pain having back to the second and the third I've been there bro (laughs) I've been there brother don't 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 think I don't feel your pain I've been there son not on this occasion but I've been there son Um, ooh that's tough but yeah they thought he was a derby prospect and and that was the talk early in the season. Now, sometimes that's utter nonsense, but it wasn't in this occasion. They really, th- I think Aidan O'Brien actually said that on Racing TV afterwards. Um, he talked about him having a, a big engine and how 
they felt that he was going to be one of their their Epsom runners this season. It just didn't happen for him. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't move forward fast enough. He it took him a long time to break his duck in in maidens, and they were obviously thinking about this race. This has obviously been the plan because why was Ryan Moore not on board? Because he can't do the weight. That was the only reason Ryan Moore wasn't on board. Yeah. Um, that's why why Wayne was was on him. Uh, it had nothing to do with the fact that Waterville wasn't seen as a good thing. It was the fact that Wayne can, can get down to that weight. Um, so to jump him up to two mile one and then go back to Leopardstown for a mile five, you're thinking about one thing and one thing only, and that's the the Irish Cesarwich. Um and he's run an absolute monster of a race and done so with no real experience against what he was taking on. Um Aidan O'Brien was quoted afterwards as saying he is a massive horse and over the winter he's going to turn into a completely different animal. He will be very much at home over cup trips next year. Does that mean he makes up into a Gold Cup contender to be rivaling Kiprios, his stablemate, or is he going to be slightly below him? How high do you think he can go? I think... uh, I'll I'll just hark back to what I I said halfway through the race in that I thought he'd need to be a Group 1 horse to win from that position. And I think he'll make up into a Group 1 horse next season. Now, whether... I think a lot will depend on the how the handicapper reacts to this, because you would think if he gets a mark anywhere below 110, you see, he won this off 99. If he gets a mark anywhere below 110, do you think they might think Chester Cup as a starting point for him next season and then sort of progress from there? Well, purely from a selfish perspective, I'm wondering... So I've had a swing at Adagio for the Club Godolphin Cesarewitch Handicap, um, mm. who is 13 to 2 now. When I backed him, he was 10s. Whee! Uh, I know that Nicky Henderson has booked Ryan Moore for a horse with no name. But again, you're at the same position with Waterville. If he was to run, Wayne would probably be on board because, first of all, of his association. But secondly, the weight issue. Um, yeah. so what can Ryan can well, Ryan could do it Ryan could do it he's got down to 8 stone 7 so he could he could ride him off 8 stone 9 now we're still have to wait to see what kind of a mark he would get he'd definitely qualify but how much would he go up and it's 13 days later would they roll the dice probably not realistically mm. probably not so that's the 5 to 1 market leader with Kaluki out um I would think if he has that mark, no, I suspect actually what they'll probably do with him is go for the Ormond or something along those lines. And the reason I would say that is, looking back on it, while Coolmore have retained their ownership in Cleveland, he left Aidan O'Brien. And the long-term aim with him, and now he ran in this race, and I was very big on him for the Melbourne Cup. I wouldn't give up on him. He's travelled very well, but he didn't have anything left in the tank. Um, and I think it's a bit of a stretch to think that he can win a Melbourne Cup now. But let's see. Um, 
I don't think that that's... I don't think handicaps are what Aidan O'Brien is is interested in long-term. If you can exploit a handicap mark, by all means, and they've done that here, and that's one of the things that was very interesting about this horse running at all, was, why are you going for this race? Oh, look, they stepped him up to two-mile-one on only his fourth start. Um, only his, was it his third, even? Uh, when they... Yeah, his fourth start, they've jumped him drastically in, in distance to two mile one. So clearly they see him as either a high-class handicapper or as a cup horse. Um, it's an interesting conundrum for them next season. Do you start him off if he gets a favourable mark in a Chester Cup? Or, and is that how you're going to campaign him? Is he then ultimately going to go to, to Joseph, who's giving up jumps training, um, sell him? to part ownership with Lloyd Williams and Joseph will take over? Or is he going to be remaining in Aiden's care? Given how highly they've regarded him and what they thought of him, I suspect that it's it's group races for him next season. They'll try him that way. Can mm. he make that jump up is another question. The Ormond would seem to be, it's over mile five, isn't it? That would seem to be the ideal starting point for him, in my yeah. mind. I see they've, um, they've given him an entry in the uh, stairs race on Champions Day, haven't they? Ooh... Just looking through the entries there. Um, presumably, Kiprios will go there. Well, Kiprios goes to France, to doesn't he? Doesn't, isn't Kiprios going for the pre Is he going to run in the Cadran? Is it the Cadran or the Royal Yeah, whichever one of those races. He's going for, for one of those. Mm. Uh, so they have, in him, they have him in the arc, but, but Aidan O'Brien has basically said they're going to go for the stairs race on arc day or arc weekend. You would think then that rules out Champions Day, wouldn't you? Mm, probably. Um, it comes what it's only it's less than two weeks after, isn't it? Yeah, I doubt um, they'd ask him to do that. I think water. I think it's interesting that Waterville has got that entry. Very in the long distance cup. Mm. I'm not sure when the entry's closed for that. When they would have put him in but he's he's definitely in there along with to be fair Aiden's got quite a few in there as well yeah he, I'm, I'm just looking at it here Broom is in there intriguingly changing the guard we know is done for the mm-hmm. season uh, him, he who shall not be named uh, Martinstown is in there as well uh, Point Lonsdale is done for, that's the other horse I was trying to think of he's done for the season too United Nations has been sold uh, and he's still in there so this was probably a while ago that this was done, but it's still interesting that, I mean, it can only have been a few weeks, and they put him in. So they were even thinking of it then. So that that's an intriguing uh, aspect. We'll see how that pans out. But I'm very intrigued to see how Point Lonsdale does next year. He comes back as a four year old. Changing of the guard comes back as a four year old. Um, they're all done for the year. Um. He's the only one who would stand out unless they want to take a massive step up and trip a broom, and I doubt they'll do that. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. We both are very interested in him for group races next season, but obviously he would need to... Ah, interestingly. Sorry, I was just looking at the conditions, um, the entry conditions for the long-distance cup, and it appears that there's a, there's a stage tomorrow, scratch September 27th, but presumably... Horses can be taken out. Ooh. Well, do you know what win. I find more interesting, actually? What's that? Aidan O'Brien made zero entries for the Melbourne Cup last year. 
but Waterville is in there, this year. Yeah. Now that I find intriguing. And uh, do you know, and and this is what I was thinking while I was watching the race, wasn't that Irish Cesarich, wasn't it run like a Melbourne Cup? Yes, it was. Proper gallop. The whole race shape was, it it just resembled a Melbourne Cup. And he would be tailor-made for that, wouldn't he? How many horses does Aidan O'Brien have entered in the Melbourne Cup? I shall tell you. You Want to have a guess? Um, It won't be many. Two or three, Max? One. Just the one? Just Waterville? Just Waterville. Now, I'm sure there will be Listeners will be going, hang on a second there now, Kennedy. Hang on a second. Temple of Artemis is in there. Um, But Temple of Artemis was entered by Joseph. Or at least has had the entry continued by Joseph. Do you know who's come out of it, actually? It's Cleveland. So that's that anti-post bet gone. Although it was with Paddy Power, and they've closed my account, the bastards. So, uh, yeah. Although that was coming, to be fair. It was my third account on a different card and a different address. So it was only a matter of time. Uh, I just would have preferred it if they did it in a, in a nicer way, quite frankly. But um, telling me that you're asking me for documentation that you never asked me for uh, and then just shutting it is not really the way to do things. But um, thanks for the lucky 31. Uh, Art Power won the Renaissance Stakes Group 3, gets back to winning ways, uh, beats the James Horton-trained son, Sam Maximus, so it's a 1-2 for the British. Um, nice to see Art Power back in the winner's enclosure because he had been pretty dire on his most recent start at Haydock. I thought the comeback at York was okay, nothing more than that, um, but Haydock was, was pretty miserable. This was good, though. Yeah, he didn't run particularly well at Haydock, I think I think things kind of conspired against him at, at Haydock. He was a little bit slowly away, stumbled. He then was was a little bit lit up, but it was good to see him come back to form, winning the Renaissance for the second year running, and that sets him up for another tilt at the Champions Sprint, doesn't he? he? Was fourth in it last year. He'll go into this year's contest in equally good nick, and who's to say he won't run a, a good race again? He's he's a likeable horse. He seems to take just one or two runs to come to himself, but he really fired. He, ended, he was in a different class, really, on Saturday, wasn't he, um, to those sprinters. And he'll go well, again, Ascot, in a division that's that's quite thin, isn't it, the six furlong sprinting division? Well, Highfield Princess aside, it's just not up to much, and she's off to America now. Uh, Minzel is is done. Alcohol free goes through the sales ring as a horse in training. So Andrew Balding has no idea if she's still going to be his or not. I mean, the reality is there probably not, but she would be more valuable as a horse who's still in training. This was the logic in it. She's more valuable as a horse in training who has the option of going for that race. So maybe he gets to to train her for one more race for a new owner. Maybe that owner decides, maybe Coolmore buy her as a no-name-ever. They're not stuck for no-name-ever mares. Maybe they do buy her. Um, it wouldn't be the first time they've bought a high-class mare from a British trainer. 
uh, and then move that horse state in O'Brien. Yeah. Let's see what they decide to do. Um, but that means you're left with Creative Force, Kinross, Tenebrism would be interesting, Rohan. It's not a great race. None of those horses are particularly stellar. So it's just not. It's not a deep division, is it? No, it's not. No. Um, Kaluki go ten to one, but our power. If you are so inclined, uh, Rebels Romance is a horse that you know very well. Uh, a gelding mm-hmm. for Charlie Appleby. Um, the reason that you know him well is covering Maidan, uh, where he did particularly well last year but was fairly miserable there this year. 25 links and 27 links he was beaten. Made his grass debut slash turf debut, whichever American terminology you want to use, uh, at Newmarket in July and has not looked back since. And has now been to Germany on two occasions. He's won all four starts this season uh, on grass. He was beaten, as I said earlier in Maidan, horrendously badly. But he's been low-key. This is a bit of an insult, will people say this? He's been well-placed by his connections. Mm. Um, but he has been very well-placed to go and win two Group 1s. But this is a good Group 1 that he's won. Um, he's beaten... He, he's won the race that Alpinista won last year. And uh, obviously, German horses like Daydream and notably Tequara Tasso have come out and swept the board with the major European Group 1 success. So, um, this is not to be sniffed at at all. What did you make of his performance and where do you think he's going to go next? Yeah, he's a he's a bit of an enigma, isn't he? Rebels romance. He just <laughs> remark when we were watching this race on Sunday. He just looks really slow, <laughs> but he keeps winning. And he he's a proper grinder, isn't he? He's now unbeaten in four starts on turf, and he's beaten the German Derby winner. I think the the three furlong straight at Cologne really played to his strengths. He's a horse who I think will stay further than a mile and a half. I think he'll stay a mile and six. I'm not sure where they may go next with him. If they were tempted to try the Breeders' Cup turf, I'd probably want to be against him there because I'm not sure that American racing, tight turns, shorter straight will really play to his strengths. But he's he keeps getting the job done, doesn't he? He doesn't look pretty in doing it. He doesn't generally win by far. He, he won by three parts of a length last time. He's won the time before. He, he'd only won by less than half a length, a length of the time before that. But he gets the job done and he's he's a likeable type, isn't he? Very, um, very. He's, he's I, I think you're bang on. I think he's been placed very well to win a couple of, of weak Group 1 races in Germany. But that's to take nothing away from him. You can only beat the opposition that's that's put in front of you. And he's completed the double that the Alpinista completed last year. The commentator, Marvin Schreid, um, I'm guessing someone let him know that uh, Lucy and I were, were talking about him, the German commentator, who did that epic commentary when Torcada Tasso got duffed and Frankie got his infamous ban. Um, he sent me a message on Twitter, and it's legitimately him that uh, he listened to it and uh, and very much enjoyed it. So th- thankfully he's got a good sense of humor because I was like, <laughs> uh, 
because uh, he, he really roars. He'd be like if I was commentating on a race, which nobody wants to hear, but um, very enthusiastic. And I want him to come over for Champions Did, did he, uh, at one point, did he say something like, here comes William Buick, hard and strong? Something <laughs> like, along, yeah, something along those lines, but obviously <laughs> obviously in it German. Great, it was a great comment. It's brilliant. It's absolutely German, brilliant. The, I'm going to try and get him on the, the show. German Jerry Hammond. <laughs> <laughs> A season of all seasons! <laughs> oh. Good man, yeah, Jerry. I, I loved it. I loved that commentary. I, I love it loved when it. when Jerry gets excited, and I loved it when, when Marvin was getting excited as well. It's, it's terrific. We're going to try and get him on the show. Um, we've got Laurent. Um, you know this because of the production meeting beforehand. We were talking about, oh, do you know what? The arc is coming up. We'd better get Laurent on the show. Uh, so Laurent Babran from Sky Sports Racing is going to be on with us on, on Thursday. We're recording Thursday. We'll probably release it Thursday. Uh, and then you're here with me as we preview. We're either doing it Thursday or Friday. I'm on TalkSport on Friday, so I'm not sure how we're going to work that. But it's the arc preview, and we've got the Sun Cherry to look ahead to as well. So there's a lot to, to pack in. Maybe we'll do two. Um, but yeah, just in, in terms of where he's going to go, it's going to be international races, and they can... There's, um, there's a mile-and-a-half race at Woodbine, a group one. Is that the Patterson-Canadian International? That could be the one. That's the one yeah. to go for. That's what to go that, for. This would, that would suit the, the long Woodbine straight would, would suit him to a T, I think. Breeders' Cup turf is just a little bit too much of a task for him this year, would it, would it be? Mm, bit above his pay grade, that, I think. Yeah. I wonder who's going to be rocking up from Europe in that. Um, that's going to be intriguing. But yeah, Patterson Canadian International sounds like the ideal race for Rebels Romance who won in Calon. Um, and um, yeah, he would be just as our expert Mark Milligan has said, would be well suited by that. Okay. Some, um, some of the big racing stories. Sean Levy was treated appallingly badly by the BHA. Um, this whole thing is, is quite embarrassing. He's handled himself with... Uh, he's handled this whole situation incredibly well. I think he comes out of it very well in how he has handled himself in the media, how he's spoken about it. But this is highly embarrassing for the BHA, not for, for Sean. It was embarrassing for him. Um, nobody likes those kind of rumours going around, particularly when you've done nothing wrong. And this is on them. And Dougie Costello, did you see Dougie Costello's interview on Sky Sports Racing? I didn't see it, but I've read about it subsequently. It was with, um, it was with Bob. Uh, and he spoke eloquently, Dougie Costello, I was very taken with it. And he said that there's a number of jockeys who have been through a similar thing. He said, and I quote, it could have been me that picked up that test that Sean did and it can tarnish your name. I don't have a yard behind me and I have a family to feed. So all these things go through your mind and I felt very sorry for Sean. That's a, an excellent point. The other point to make is, and this isn't taking anything away from Safi Osborne, but the Racing League, he was the one in line to be leading rider. There are far bigger accomplishments in Sean Levy's life. Uh, he's a, a multiple classic winner, being one of them. But that's a 20 grand payday. And well done to Safi. But he couldn't compete then. And um, that left a very sour taste in, in the mouth. Particularly when he, he specifically asked 
you know, any jockey, most jockeys are going to try and go, oh, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do that. Um, but in this instance, he was completely innocent and he's had to sit out for a whole bloody week. And during that week, it doesn't really matter what he says. It's only going to matter what comes out. So this, this whole fiasco leaves a very, very sour taste and was handled appallingly badly by the BHA for all that I'm not entirely certain what it is they're supposed to do about it other than have a better, have better protocols in place. What's your take on it? Yeah, I think they, they first of all, they need a faster system for verifying the second sample, don't they? Because to take someone's livelihood away from them for over a week when they have done nothing wrong or potentially have done nothing wrong, it, it can't be the right way to go, can it? If if these saliva tests are flawed, and clearly they can be flawed, then an initial test should be taken, but then they should fast-track a second, more conclusive test. In this case, I think it's a urine test, isn't it? Um, to confirm it. And I, I'm no, not he, sure. He that, asked. Surely, he, he actually said, yeah. why can't we take a urine sample? And they went, no. Yeah, but but he had I to he had I, to twist their arms. So that for the for the second sample, he sa- he's obviously said that he was innocent, which of course he was. Uh, he asked that, can we do a urine sample? And they basically now he he's more polite in this, but basically they said no, and it took a lot of persuasion for them to eventually relent and give in to it. Uh, and that came back after eight days negative, but he's had to wait eight days for that one to come through. These saliva tests for for drug use are not conclusive. And I, like you, I watch a lot of TV, and I watch a lot of these um, true life um, police programs, like traffic cops, motorway cops, things like that. When they're taking swipes from drug drivers, they take a saliva swab at the roadside, which gives them a basic reading. But then those drivers are then whisked away straight to the police station for an instant blood test to confirm whether the saliva test is correct or not. So surely, if the police are not taking conclusively the results of saliva tests, then the BHA shouldn't be conclusively taking the the results of saliva tests as hard evidence that that someone's guilty. I'm I'm not wrong there, am I? No, you're not. And also, it's a really good point to make because... If the police in the United Kingdom and indeed on Garda Shikon and Ireland, if they can both do that, well, then why the hell can the BHA not do that? It's it just seems ridiculous that a system that can be flawed enables you to take someone's livelihood away from them for for over a week and the damage to that jockey's reputation as well. Well, I had a young jockey on this show last year, who is adamant that they never touched a drug in their life, and they ended up being banned by the BHA, and maintains his innocence to this day, and has had to rebuild his career back in Ireland. And the the Jockeys Association backed him to the hilt. And they, they did tests, and he came clean. He was clean on those. 
Mm-hmm. And yet the BHA threw the book at them. And it's very easy for the BHA to throw. This is one of the things that I've I've had a real issue with in terms of how amateur writers and young writers are treated. They always seem to get the brunt of the blame. And to a certain extent, if you're younger or coming through, maybe as the learning process, you are going to be hit harder because they want to make sure you don't do that again and that you learn from that experience. But the other end of that is that if somebody is... Look, there was the Benoit de la Fayette situation where he proclaimed his innocence and it very clearly, you know, it's, it's then emerged with video evidence and all of that was not the case. Um, now, he served his ban and he's come back tremendously well and that was an awful lot for a young kid to go through. Uh, he didn't handle it particularly well and he's come back from it very well since then. Knuckled down. You know, John Gosden will have got hold of him and talked some sense into him and he's repaying all of that faith now on the track. People make mistakes. People do stupid things. People lie. As Dr. Gregory House said, everybody lies. But this is a situation where the BHA are fully aware of this kind of stuff. They have ex-jockeys that they can speak to. They have current jockeys that they can speak to. They know that there have been false positives in the past. And yet the Metropolitan Police are able to do a blood sample with somebody who is polluted, shouldn't be let near a car ever again but they'll still double-check the saliva and make sure that they have a positive blood sample test. Now, you can do that. Real simple. It can't be that. We're not splitting the atom here. If somebody tests positive, you can go, okay, to confirm, we're going to sit you in, we're going to do the blood test, and we're going to find that straight away. Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. It just seems... It's just a no-brainer, isn't it? If, if, If... an institution like the police are not prepared to take these saliva tests at face value without then double-checking them against a blood test, then why should the BHA be doing that? They, you know, there clearly is a flaw in the system because he's been proven to be negative in the end, but for some reason he's tested positive on this saliva swab. So... You know, there's a flaw in the system. If if the saliva swabs themselves are a little bit flawed, then for me, the jockey should be, if he tests positive with one of the saliva tests, he should be allowed to carry on riding until a more conclusive test, be that urine, blood or whatever, proves whether he's innocent or guilty. Surely that's the premise. It's the rule of law, isn't it? Innocent until proven guilty. Well, that's supposedly the way things are supposed to be. Um, the court of public opinion would play things very differently. But this is not the court of public opinion. This is the BHA, who are the governing body of British horse racing. They have a moral and an ethical duty to do everything right by the industry, and that includes jockeys. And that includes jockeys who may very well have stepped out of line. Look, we've spoken to jockeys who have had substance abuse issues. Let's be real about it. We've talked about that. We know that it's a thing. We know it's a major problem in British racing. We know this. Part of that is not jumping on the bandwagon and waving the finger of accusations at anybody who tests positive. Because now, the next time somebody tests positive and they genuinely are positive, they can go, oh, this is a whole stitch-up job, just like the last time. Look at what they did to Sean Levy. 
I mean, there's a man who's completely innocent in this and has lost out on a week's work and reputational damage. And then comes through clean. No problem. You can be sure there's plenty of trolls who are like, ah, well, this one's clean. Well, why was the other one wrong? Which one is the accurate one? You're not doing anybody any favors, BHA. Sort this mess out. Uh, Dougie Costello has called on Jerry Hill, the BHA's chief medical advisor, to explain the situation that led to Levy missing eight days in the saddle. He's 100% right. They should have to fully explain yeah. it. The, the, the learning here for the BHA needs to be that they need to get a B sample uh, or an ability to take a B sample very, very quickly, don't they? And that way, a jockey doesn't need to miss out on his livelihood if he is proven innocent. You cannot leave it eight days. And for Sean Levy himself, as you say, he had to badger them to get the second sample. That should that should just, it should not happen, should it? That's their job. It's their job to do that. It's not up to the jockey to be making the case, hey, I've got work to do. I need to be able to get back out there. You need to clear this. And, he, and like I said, he's been incredibly polite about the whole thing. For all that he's been firm, he's been very polite about it. I don't think there are many others who would be as polite as he is with this. It's a mess. When I interviewed Andrew Balding on Tuesday, I had just read about this secret meeting to look after the future of British racing. Andrew Balding then happened to bring that up in the interview. Uh, the reason I call it a secret meeting is that because initially it was 18, 18 mysterious figures meeting at a hotel to discuss the future of horse racing. Uh, they've since been named. It was Wilf Walsh, Charlie Parker, um, chairs of the BHA Racecourse Association, chairs of the BHA the Racecourse Association, and Thoroughbred Group, Joe Samara-Smith, Will Wilf Walsh and Charlie Parker, respectively, members of the sports executive committee made of the BHA chief, executive Charlie, uh, Charlie, Julie Harrington, uh, ROA chief executive Charlie Liverton. You can see where the Charlie was coming from. Um, that's the old dyslexia, folks. Skipping ahead. RCA chief executive David Armstrong and great British racing chief executive Rod Street. Now, since then, there's been uh, a couple of things have been said about that meeting. Um, the, and the critical strategy talks, uh, there were quotes of innovation, radical, moving in the right direction. If you attend one crucial racing strategy meeting this year, make it this one. Oh, wait, sorry, that's a, that's a Hollywood film poster strategy. Um, yeah, what did you make of all this? Ed, uh, I'd like to know who was representing the punters no in one. all this. No, I don't think exactly. Lydia Islop got an invitation to attend. Lydia, you go in there uh, and represent the, the punters for him, uh, and then you can report on it afterwards. Oh, wait, no, that's what'll happen. You're one of the good guys, and you will report on what's been said here, so let's not invite anybody of that caliber. It's all very cloak and dagger, isn't it? It's There's, There are times when racing just doesn't do itself any favours, and I think this is one of those times we need transparency. I think we need transparency in the sport now more than ever. The sport is facing a crisis here. We've, I've spent all summer reporting on four and five runner fields 
day in and day out and the prize money situation and the the, the whole thing is, is, is just a mess. And then to have a meeting to essentially try and figure out the future of the sport and a strategy and only having to do lots of digging to find out who was at the meeting first and foremost and the veil of secrecy that surrounded it and then not to have punters represented because let's be honest the owners put an awful lot of money into racing without owners there would be no racing but conversely without punters there would be no racing because as much as gimmicks like the racing league try to dress racing up as a a sport that can be enjoyed without a bet by and large, you take away the punters, you don't have a sport, and it's as simple as that. And any meeting that's predicated on shaping the future of the sport surely has to have a representation from punters. Yeah, I'm really I'm really confused by the fact that there were no punter representatives there. Um, I mean, we're also in a situation where the reporting on this is it's also likely that in attendance were. What? So we don't know. Now, to a certain extent, the BHA can't win on this because they get together and they have a meeting to actually try to do something after saying, yeah, here's the fixture list. Uh, Remember, we're not going to cut those 300 races. We've completely come back on that. By the way, that's not our bad. That's on the race courses who don't want to let the gravy train sink in any possible way. Um. And maybe that's our bad for allowing ourselves to be cuckolded by two other entities. But oh well, you know we'll keep on trucking. Oh, and we'll um, we'll look at twenty twenty four next year. In twenty twenty three, we'll look at doing something for twenty twenty four. So they they actually get together and do something. And our take on it is, what the hell? Why is this all so secretive? And why was there nobody from the punters forum there? But I think that's reasonable. I think that's a reasonable criticism. Um. When the BHA do something right, I'm more than happy to praise them on it. I've been on their back quite a bit on TalkSport and on the final furlong. But to be honest about it, they haven't done a whole lot right. I mean, the whole situation with Sean Levy was a disgrace. Prize money is a shambles. Uh, The declining field sizes are an absolute shambles. The declining horse population in the UK. Solcombe was sold just last week. Again, here's an example of a racehorse who many of the jumps boys five years ago would have been desperate to get their hands on. That That is a horse who's got Graham Wiley, who obviously has now left the sport, but a Graham Wiley, J.P. McManus type written all over him. Gone down under. Why? Because in Australia, there is so much prize money up for grabs that the owners can take that risk to pay way over the odds. And the owners of Sulcombe have retained a share in the horse. Uh, and, and they were moved to say, one of them was moved to say that they're excited about joining Chris Waller and that they feel really bad about selling the horse when he's talented and William Haggis is trying to be champion trainer. Like, that's how good the horse is in their minds. And that's how they're they're feeling, that they're moved to say that. It was an offer they couldn't refuse. This isn't stopping. This is going to continue. There's going to continue to be an exodus of top talent. And Gerline's warned about it. Jorlines warned about it at the start of the year. That's an Irish trainer talking about how we're relying not only in the UK, but also in Ireland, way too much on our prestige, way too much 
on our heritage. Prize money's not good enough. Owners are waking up to that. Owners are moving their horses to other jurisdictions. And you can say all day long about how, ah, you get more satisfaction at winning a British race than you do at winning an American one. Not when the prize money is so much bigger in America. Not when the prize money is so much bigger in Australia. And if you're in the high-flying world of business and you're doing work in New York, Joseph O'Brien just opened a satellite yard in New York. They're all starting to do this now. If you're able to be traveling the world, heading to Hong Kong, Australia, New York, why would you not send your horses over there? What's the point? Yeah, it's great to be able to win the big prestigious handicaps, but not if it doesn't make it pay. And it's not, like, sport is not about the taking part. It's not about getting the participation trophy. It's about actually winning and being able to turn that profit then into buying more horses. Rich people aren't stupid. They're not just going to keep on forking out loads of cash for horses for the fun of it. And all that's happening is the elite trainer. I mean, look at O'Leary. It's great that O'Leary's continuing racing. I'm delighted that he's not leaving. But who is, who is getting the horses? Willie Mullins. He's back with Willie. It's not that they're going to other... Like Henry de Bromhead's a hugely talented trainer. Gordon Elliott, we know, is a hugely talented trainer. They're still going to get O'Leary horses. But Willie Mullins is back now. Willie Mullins is back in the O'Leary fold. He's going to get more of those horses. It's the good getting better. It's the elite getting stronger. It's the rich getting richer. That's the current state of things in British racing. And it's a real problem. And I don't see a whole lot being done to stop it. So when they meet in such shadowy circumstances as this, it just paints a terrible picture. Kind of, we we bang this drum all summer, aren't we? but we're, we're kind of just sleepwalking through this this whole mess. And to be honest, you've made the point that horses are going to Australia, America, Hong Kong is another place where horses will get to race for for much better prize money than here. We want to keep the talent on these shores, but. It's just not going to happen, is it, unless the prize money situation is sorted out. And all we can do is keep banging the drum and hope that somewhere along the line the penny drops. From the Racing Post, Chelmsford. (laughs) They insist there is no plan to move its racing permanently behind closed doors after staging Thursday's evening's additional fixture without offering general admission for the public, which sparks criticism from those who are in attendance. Around 60 people took up the offer of a four-course meal, but otherwise, only the track's members and trainers and owners were in attendance. There is a rumor that the track's owner, Ark, have been looking at holding meetings behind closed doors. Now, I should clarify that Ark strongly deny that, but it has been going around, and then we have a meeting behind closed doors. So, doesn't look good. Chelmsford also has no grandstand. Which, you know, is a problem. What did you make of this situation? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because initially it looked like they just denied entry to the paying public and then they came out with a a statement saying that they already had a a pre-booked corporate event on, didn't they? which 
meant that they couldn't then mobilise, I think, enough staff and race day operations, etc., to be able to essentially stage a meeting to the general public at short notice. Um, Look, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? If we start getting in a world where we're running races purely for people to watch on TV and bet on in the betting shops, we're going down the the bags route in Greyhounds, aren't we? Uh, which is not it's not a situation we want to get into i'm i'm probably a bit more forgiving than you here i'm pretty good uh, maybe i'm a bit soft but i'm prepared to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one because it was an extra meeting it was staged at short notice they did apparently have a corporate event on um, yeah they definitely took did up some of their resources, staff and time, etc. But I would I would caveat that by saying it's it's not something we want to see happen again. It, it's not a good look, is it? No. It it really isn't. It really isn't. Um and let's find out how it pans out afterwards, but it certainly isn't a good look. Um Speaking of not a good look, Jim Best is going to return to racing after a ban. He's going to be training alongside his wife Susie, so it's Susie's name and Jim Best's sharing the license. How do you feel about his return to being a trainer? Hmm. We we discussed this off air, didn't we, before? And um, he was banned for. So he was banned essentially for giving jockeys instructions to to stop horses now. We must say Jim Best has always protested his innocence here, hasn't he? And he has. He, he was quite. He was quite vociferous in protesting his innocence. He was given a ban. You could argue till you're long in the tooth about whether the ban was long enough, whether it was appropriate enough. But he has served that ban now, and he's coming back. Um, I being realistic, I don't have a, a a very strong view on it myself. Would I, given everything that we know about the case against him and the fact that he was found guilty, would I, if I was an owner, want to have horses with him? No, but that would be my prerogative. Presumably, owners do want to have horses with him, and then that that's their prerogative, isn't it? But. He served his ban and he's coming back. Yeah. I mean, he has gone through the ban and if someone is sent to prison, you do the time and then you're out. Do you hold that against that person? Yes, it's, it's, the, it's the crime that they committed. The thing that I'm very uncomfortable with this is that it was conditional jockeys that allegedly that he received the ban for, that he was instructing to lose. And that's an abuse of power. First of all, it's it's really awful to be doing that. But it's also an abuse of power. You're not going up to a respected jockey who's a well-known big name and saying, make sure this fella's out of the first three. You're saying it to a, to a conditional jockey who is trying their best to have a career. 
And in some ways, you have an influence over that. Um, so I was very uncomfortable with that. And he was banned. But the ban didn't say, and you can never train again. Um, let's see who puts horses in training with him. And let's see how he behaves himself. But I'm not exactly jumping for joy about his return. Um, stable staff crisis. There was a, a really interesting interview with Jimmy Mangan. Of course, Jane's a good friend of the final furlong. Uh, he said in that interview, just looking back on his career, that there's always been... For his yard is very much one that focuses on point-to-point -point recruits and, and even training point-to-pointers. But he says that the way the scale of racing has, has tipped, that small-scale trainers like himself, who you know, is a strange thing to say about someone who's won a Grand National, but that's how he describes himself, for him to be able to go and compete in the big sport, sports big prizes, he's, those days are pretty much gone. And he went on to say, it's very hard for trainers to keep going. I'm lucky not to be depending on training. If I was, I'd be out in the road. I wouldn't have a hope. It's impossible to compete. And part of that is because the big trainers now hoover up all the staff. So that makes it even harder. And that's a really interesting take on it because the common consensus and the common criticism seems to be, oh, the, trainers get all the, good, the big trainers get all the good horses. But they also get the good staff. And there is a major staffing crisis, not only in the United Kingdom, but also in the Republic of Ireland. So much so that Dunico O'Brien took out an ad earlier this year where in the ad for new stable staff, it featured how they will all be fed every day. I think you get your breakfast and lunch there, possibly your dinner as well. And there's pension benefits, which is extraordinary. And you know, well done to Dunico for doing that. But he's having to do that to attract the right caliber of staff. Now, I've been talking about this on the final furlong for at least two years. And one of the things that has been a real issue for trainers, and I've spoken to a number of trainers for, for this show and also for TalkSport, and this always comes up, is the caliber of staff that they can attract. It's not just... I mentioned a year ago how I had a conversation with a trainer that day who had had a long-term member of staff come into them in tears, resigning, because the work hours are unsociable. Andrew Balding said this last week as well. The work hours are unsociable. The pay wasn't enough. And they were leaving racing entirely and going into the service industry. Um, that was probably two years ago because it would have been just before COVID hit. Now, that's somebody who's having to walk away from the sport they love and have worked in all their life to go into a completely different industry because it pays better and the hours are more sociable. And that's happening across the United Kingdom and in Ireland. And if it's not that, it's stable staff are leaving for bigger yards who are giving more incentives, like Dunnock is, uh, and like they can. It's a major, major issue that Andrew Balding, William Haggis, Charlie Fellows, Rafe Beckett, Richard Fahey have all spoken to me about on TalkSport in, in the last couple of months. Uh, and it's a major problem in Ireland as well as the United Kingdom. Your take on it? Yeah, it, it, it takes us almost back full circle to, to where we started and the prize money issue, isn't it? Because the longer 
that trainers in Britain and Ireland and Britain in particular have to race for poor prize money, the, the harder it's going to be for them to pay and retain decent staff. And that's a really interesting point you make about Donica. The, the big stables now are run almost like corporations, aren't they? It would have been unheard of a few years ago for a trainer to be able to offer pension benefits, etc., to stable staff. And it, it's a real worry that as the big stables get bigger and bigger, that the prize money trickle doesn't doesn't trickle down to the the, the the smaller stables and they're struggling to retain staff because yes, Andrew Baldwin makes a really good point. It's unsociable hours. It's a labor of love, isn't it, for most stable staff. But also they've got to eat. They've got to put food on the table. Yeah. And in any industry, in any walk of life, you're going to go to the place that pays you the most. And it sounds a bit like a stuck record, but this kind of thing is going to continue to happen unless the people at the top sort out the prize money issue. That's where it all doubles back to. It all doubles back to the prize money because Liz Trust is trying to bring in trickle-down economics. Biden says that doesn't work. I don't think it does work. I think it's pretty clear that it that it doesn't. But um, you know, if the, the ones at the top keep getting all the money... Uh, that what is actually there, then it, it's not good. And that's why it was good the sales race went to a seemingly smaller owner. Um, the cost million going to him. But yeah, it's, the whole thing's a bit of a mess. Um, before we started recording, Stradivarius was announced is retiring. I believe I'm talking to John Gosden later in the week. One of the soundest horses who ever lived, and that is a factual fact, he only missed one intended target in his entire career, and that was, ironically, his last performance. I did get the feeling that day that that was going to be it. I hoped it wouldn't be, but I got the feeling when he came out and the way John Gosden talked about that, he mentioned Doncaster being a potential for him, but there was no real appetite from Bjorn Nielsen to go for that. And I wonder if him missing your... He probably would have won there, Although the way Quickthorne was ridden, it would have been, you know, Coltrane found it difficult to, to make up ground. Um, and Coltrane wasn't far off Stradivarius at Goodwood if Quickthorne had galloped the way he did in that race with Stradivarius in the field. Maybe he would have pulled off the unthinkable anyway. But it turned into a complete farce of a race without Stradivarius and, and Trushan. Um, and we can only judge him on, on what he's done. And he has had a remarkable career. He's the winning most horse for Frankie de Tori the winning most horse in the history of the British Champion Series um, and what would turn out to be his last race, he is carried out in his shield in an epic battle with a horse who became his his new rival in, in Kiprios. He was a wonderful, wonderful racehorse. Oh, it's remarkable, isn't it? His longevity, his soundness, he'll go down as one of the greatest stayers in the flat of all time, right up there with Yates. In terms of quality, um, you would hope that the circus that's kind of surrounded him this season doesn't leave a mark on his legacy because he should be celebrated for what he is, which is a remarkable racehorse who, at eight years old, when you look 
through the prism of ratings was almost as good as he was as a, a four and a five year old and that's remarkable in itself he's just I don't think you can praise him highly enough, Stradivarius. I think he's just remarkable. I think we will struggle to see the likes of him again doing what he's done over the amount of time that he's done it. And all praise should go to Bjorn Nielsen as well for for wanting to keep him in training for as long as he has. And the fact that they wanted to keep him in training as a nine-year-old as well. But unfortunately, you know yourself, don't you, Emmett, when you start getting bit older and you get these little niggles they, they take longer to clear up don't they that is another <laughs> factual fact also the weight goes on much easier and it's much harder to get it off um yeah uh, uh, check myself in the mirror as bruce springsteen said in dance with the dark i was like oh my god what is going on uh yeah i'm, I'm a little bit i'm a little bit away from my 13 stone i think i'm 14 and a half stone now we need to start working on that but um this pesky back won't allow me. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh to be back down anywhere near 14. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll work on it. But he was tremendous. It is him and Yates, Miles Clare. Yates, Yates and Stradivarius are, are Miles Clare in the same division in terms of the all-time greats, in my view. Obviously, listeners will have their own take on that. Um, to win at four consecutive Royal Ascot meetings and to race there for six consecutive years is bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, you know, he wins three Gold Cups, runs in two of them where he's beaten, and won the Queen's Vase. Bonkers to be able to achieve that. Uh, remarkable training feat from John Gosden, and I could not praise Bjorn Nielsen enough. Uh, for being so sporting to keep no, going as an eight-year-old. He's, he's legendary, isn't he? And it's only a matter of time before he gets his statue up at Ascot, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And he deserves it. Stradivarius, Stradivarius not beyond Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that bloke? That's, uh, that's Bjorn Nielsen there. Maybe we can have a dual statue, Bjorn Nielsen holding Stradivarius. To... Everybody's happy with that. Uh, four point. Five point four million in prize money when you factor in the the two Weatherby's bonuses. Oi, oi, oi! Little did they know when they put those into effect that um, they were going to come off so quickly. Um, yeah, a, a tremendous racehorse and just tough as teak as well. What were your favorite performances from him? Let's go for two. Oh, the for me the Gold Cup where he absolutely bolted up on ground that John Gosden has told us for years he and hates. years and years that he hates. It's 2020, it was wasn't it? Just, yeah, I think it was. It was the one behind closed doors, wasn't it? Yeah. At, uh, Soft ground. That still remains to this day his highest performance on time form ratings. He won by 10 lengths. Not bad going for a horse that doesn't handle soft ground, is it? Yeah, I remember taking him on that day because we were so convinced he wouldn't go on it. And then he absolutely routes them. Um, that would be very high up there. I would add, just purely from a selfish perspective, being there in 2019 at Goodwood, seeing him win the, the Goodwood Cup um, when he beat DXB. That was I was there the year before when he beat 
Uh, oh, Jessica Harrington's horse. What was that horse's name? Torciador? Torcador? Mm. Torcy, yeah. Um, and then a year later as well, when he beat DXB. I, I love that performance. Um, and that sign at Goodwood has even more weight to it now. The fact that uh, it was the, the big thank you Stradivarius sign, along with the three Royal Ascot Gold Cups, or three Gold Cups as they should be known, he won four Goodwood Cups. Um, and it was just that pesky Kiprios that stopped him from winning a fifth. Uh, and it says an awful lot about him that he was able to continue running right to his best against such a, a tremendously talented racehorse in Kiprius, uh, and that he gave him a real fright, which he did. So, yeah, I, I like the quote from, just a, a lovely quote. It's probably going to be the headline of this podcast. The music has stopped. Great quote from Bjorn Nielsen. Uh, he retires to the National Stud at Newmarket, and um, the very best to look to him. Uh, I hope he has a long and happy retirement. He very much deserves it because he's given us an awful lot of pleasure over the years. Uh, the Ark is coming up, and that's going to be our next big show. Well, it's going to be your next big show, Mark. Uh, the next big show that we do is with Mr. Paul Ferguson. We'll be here looking at the leading hurdler contenders for the new 2022-2023 jumps season. And inevitably, Stradivarius will be a jump stallion. For all that Bjorn Nielsen is determined to make him a flat stallion, sorry, son, that just ain't <laughs> going to work out. Uh, but, you know, go for it. Ground remains good at Longchamp, but Arc uh, Rain is headed. Rain is headed. What? Am I having another aneurysm? Rain is headed for the Arc meeting, though, uh, late tonight and Tuesday as well. What is your current thinking for the Arc? Who's the most likely winner in your mind? Let's ask you that question. Um, <laughs> yeah, the current thinking is that purely for you, I would like Luxembourg to win the Arc. Pay for the boiler, Luxembourg! I Come on! I see it's just been announced. I don't know if this has just been announced this evening or oh, not. No. Oh, no. That Mishrif is going to go. Yeah, he's got no chance. To the end. <laughs> he's got no chance. I, Moving I, swiftly on. <laughs> like, how, is, how the hell? Like, they might as well run him because he's going to be done at the end of the year. But what chance does he have of winning the arc, realistically? Because he's not yeah, a mile four horse. He was he, he he's gotten better coming out of the stalls. He was certainly better. Um is Colin King gonna ride him? Uh, I don't know because uh, Rob Hornby's been confirmed as back on Westover, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got no chance either. Um James Doyle now, is gonna be on board. Yeah, James Doyle has had a setback with his injury, I think. Oh, I'm sure he tweeted earlier today Ooh, that he's that's not a... recovering as quickly. Balls. I'm sorry to hear that. So, yeah. Um, so he's going to be out for a little while longer. Yeah. I, do you know, I'm interested in Adea because he's a horse that I really, really like. Yeah, he won an egg and spoon race at Doncaster on his comeback, but it confirmed that he's still got four legs and can still run quite quickly. Could this be Charlie Appleby's year? Could he win the arc? I want to be against Alpinista. Yes, she is a, a winning machine. I just think this could be 
just one race too far for I I, I I want to be against Alpinista. That's my that's my initial thinking going into the arc. Although I need to go obviously into a little bit more depth, which I shall do before we do our preview podcast later on in the week. But I I want to if Alpinista wins, I'll lose. That's the the way I would frame it at the moment. Yeah, that would be my mindset for it as well. For all that I like Alpinista and I like the story with the groom in the racing post at the weekend. Um if Alpinista wins, I lose. I, I suspect, I mean, Luxembourg's better than Tuesday. A lot better than Tuesday. Um, I like your thinking with Adair. Godolphin John has been remarkably bullish on the tweet machine about Adair. And I've, I've noted that. I have noted that. That that hasn't gone unnoticed, Godolphin John, uh, your bullishness. I also was trying to figure out Who's Colin Keane going to be on once Westover was given back to Rob Hornby? And I wonder, is it Mishriff? Um, it probably is going to be. And no, he couldn't win the King George two years in a row, including against Adair. He's not going to win this. But, you know, fair enough. He goes and he takes his chance and well done to them. And if he chins me on the line, there'll be projectile vomit all over the place. Um, Luxembourg wins. Don't complicate your mind. Just back Luxembourg until Mark comes along with uh, an interesting solution to the race on Thursday or Friday. We have yet to decide which day we're recording. Friday is probably the more likely, but I am on TalkSport earlier that day, so we'll see. We could record Friday morning, but um, we'll we'll work that out between now and then. That's That's one for Tuala to sort out for us. But don't I'm just reading the, uh, the the tweet from James Doyle now, which was he posted four hours ago. Is he out? Um, it sounds like he's going to be out. Oh, that's a Although my injury is almost healed, I'm not 100% ready to resume riding. Uh, I've got a little break. My left hand, which frustratingly requires more time, I will continue working hard to get back. See you all soon. That doesn't sound like a man who's going to be riding in the arc. No, he's not riding in the arc. He's out for sure. So Colin King gets Mishras then. That's how that's going to play out. You would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, and that's why he's not on Westover. Nothing against Rob Hornby. I like Rob Hornby a lot, but that's why he's not on Westover. It's because he'd rather ride Mishras. All right. Intriguing. Very intriguing. Luxembourg still wins. Um, <laughs> we have to find out more about these Japanese horses and the French horses. We'll do that in the company of Laurent Babran. He's going to give us a, a breakdown on the leading French contenders and his own take on this year's arc. Uh, and of course, Mark is going to be here for that as well. So very much looking forward to that. Um, on the day that Stradivarius retires, one of the greatest stairs that we have ever seen. And we wish him a very long and ha- happy retirement. He most certainly deserves it. And we got to talk about some very exciting new talent for uh, racing, notably Blackbeard and commissioning and Crypto Force. Super talented juveniles. Uh, for years to come we're looking forward to what they can do as classic horses next season and possibly what they can do before the end of the season as well uh, from Mark Milligan goodbye and from me Emmett Kennedy thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it uh, a five star rating on your chosen podcast app be that Spotify Apple Podcasts tune in wherever it is you're tuning into us um, we would greatly appreciate that and retweets hit them with the RT on the tweet machine hit him with the shares on Facebook and Instagram as well if you're on the old TikTok whatever I don't know I don't even 
Yeah, 100%. I don't want the Chinese spying on me, man. He says, with Huawei broadband routers all over the house. Jesus. Uh, from Mark Milligan and myself, take care, be well. We'll talk to you with Paul Ferguson and our next jump special on Wednesday in association with Weatherbees. Till then, be safe, be well, God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced trainers, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pictures at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk.